Radio Influence, podcasting redefined. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. Of course, I am your host, Vincent Hill. Today is Tuesday, December the 4th. That's right, I said it. It is December. That means you got 21 days, just 21 days until Christmas. I haven't started shopping. I'm one of those people that will go and do the last minute shopping, probably on like the 22nd or the 23rd or maybe even Christmas Eve. That's usually how I do my my Christmas shopping because I'm not a big fan of malls and traffic and crowds and all of that other stuff. Um, so, hey, if you're into that stuff, I hope you, you're starting your Christmas shopping early. Uh, today's a very special day. I want to take just a minute to wish a very special and happy 72nd birthday to my father, Edward Hill, down in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, today's his birthday. Uh, I'm blessed to still have him here. I know a lot of people have dealt with the loss of a parent or parents, but you know he's still alive and kicking. He's had prostate cancer. He's had an aneurysm. He's had a stroke, uh, but he's still alive and kicking. And I wish he would really sit down, but he's always on the go. But I, I can truly say my dad helped mold me into the man that I am today. Uh, although we don't agree on a lot of stuff, especially politics, he he's molded me into the man I am today, which is a hardworking man that puts family first above everything, uh, as well as God. So a happy, happy 72nd birthday to my dad, Edward L. Hill, down in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, I love you tremendously. Now, we got a lot to cover, uh, but first I want to say tonight's episode of Beyond the Badge is brought to you by Audible. Uh, I want to talk about Dallas. If you remember uh, back in September, an off-duty officer, Amber Geiger, shot and killed her neighbor. There's been some new indictments in that case. I want to talk about that. I also want to talk about a racist Christmas tree. That's right, you heard it, a racist Christmas tree out in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Two cops were suspended based on these decorations. I want to talk about that and how ridiculous that whole idea is. And also, uh, last week I talked about the shooting death of E.J. Bradford down in uh, Hoover, Alabama. Black male that was shot after police responded to a shots fired call off-duty police officers that were just around the corner from the shots fired call. There's been some new developments in that. Benjamin Crump has released the autopsy because he says, well, if you're not going to release the video, we'll release the autopsy. And it shows he was shot three times in the back. Um, but another story that didn't get a lot of traction that I want to talk about was a grandfather shot and killed in Colorado. And I'm going to compare those two Cases and let you see exactly how the media narrative will have you brainwashed into believing something is about race. But first, uh, Dallas. So, again, back in September, September 6th, actually, Amber Geiger, Dallas police officer, had gotten off duty. Uh, she parked where she believed was her parking spot. This is her story, not mine. She got out of her vehicle, walked to what she believed her apartment. 
She says the door was open. Again, her story, not mine. So she pushes the door open. She sees a silhouette inside the apartment, which she believes is hers. Uh, she yells commands and then fires and shoots 26-year-old Baltim Jean uh, from the Caribbean island. Of course, that case got national attention, uh, of course, because it fits the narrative. White police officer, unarmed black male, shot and killed by police. It fit the narrative. So, of course, it thrusts Dallas into the national conversation about race and law enforcement. Now, originally, she was charged with manslaughter, uh, but just this week, uh, the Dallas County District Attorney says that she has been indicted on murder. So they've upgraded the charge from manslaughter to murder. And I was reading an article and it talked about, again, it talked about how this conversation about race and policing uh, needs to occur. And then they started comparing this case to two other pretty high profile cases, uh, one being the shooting death of Laquan McDonald, where Jason Van Dyke was just found guilty of second degree murder. And another Dallas police officer, Roy Oliver, who was convicted of murder after he fired into a, a moving car, which killed a uh, 17 year or 15 year old kid, uh, Jordan Edwards. And I believe that shooting was back in 2017. And it kind of struck me as odd that they were actually comparing Amber Geiger to Jason Van Dyke or to Roy Oliver, for that matter. And the reason I say that, you know, Jason Van Dyke, this shooting was back in 2014. There was a huge difference there. Not only was uh, Laquan McDonald shot 16 times, but when you look at the minutes leading up to that shooting, you know, police had received the call about a man with a knife approaching people with the knife. You see in the dash cam video, Laquan McDonald walking down the street with the knife. You know, they had tried other tactics to get him to, to drop the knife, but he, he refused to drop the knife. Now, granted, I've watched the body cam video. I personally don't agree with the shooting. I definitely don't agree with the statement that Van Dyke gave that Laquan McDonald was advancing at him with the knife in a threatening manner because, quite simply, that's not what the body cam, or sorry, the dash cam shows. But you can't compare Amber Geiger walking into what she believed to be her apartment with Jason Van Dyke. The only comparison is the fact that she's white and the person that was killed as a re result of her shooting was black. That's the only comparison. Even when you look at the shooting of Jason, or sorry, Jordan Edwards back in 2017 by Roy Oliver. Police were already at a call for service about a loud party. They're inside an apartment talking to the people that were having a loud party. Several seconds later, and this is captured on body cam, you hear shots from the outside. So, of course, what do police do? They run towards the shots. And in the commotion, there was one officer saying, hey, stop that car, stop that car. Roy Oliver, who's coming from a different vantage point, sees the car coming. And at the exact same time, the partner smashes the window out. Roy Oliver has testified that he believed it was gunshots, which could be 
really reasonable considering they had just heard gunshots. So when he hears his glass break, he believes someone's shooting from inside the car. So what does he do? He returns fire. Nonetheless, he was convicted of murder uh, for killing Jordan Edwards, 15-year-old Jordan Edwards. But again, the circumstances are totally different than someone walking into what they believe to be their home. There was no call for service. There was no reports of shots fired. There was no reports of um, an intruder in someone's house or anything like that. Again, the only comparison here is the fact that Amber Geiger is white and Balton Jean is black. But you cannot compare those three cases at all, in my opinion. It just doesn't fit. But, of course, for some people, it fits the narrative of it only happens in the black community and it only happens if the officer is white. But nonetheless, she's indicted on murder. Now, let's be clear. That doesn't mean that she'll be convicted of murder. Maybe she'll be convicted of the lesser charge of manslaughter, which was the original charge. Or maybe if the prosecution seeks that murder charge, kind of like Trayvon Martin, where even the jury was saying, hey, what about manslaughter? And if the the prosecution keeps pressing for murder, that is a much harder charging order to prove versus manslaughter. So we'll be curious to see how that goes. I'm sure as the trial goes along, we'll be covering it over at the Law and Crime Network, where you can see me anchoring on Tuesdays from 12 to 3. Now, I want to talk about uh, Minneapolis in this racist Christmas tree. I I can't make this up. So I'm going to read uh, a brief article. Two Minneapolis police officers were placed on paid leave Friday after their apparent involvement in a Christmas tree decoration that the city's mayor has called despicable. The Christmas tree at a precinct station on the city's north side was decorated with items such as Newport cigarettes, police crime scene tape, and a can of malt liquor, Popeye's, Louisiana kitchen cup, and other things that the mayor uh, said were a racist display. A picture of the tree circulated online before the items were removed. Now, first of all, that's a little one-sided of a statement because I'm looking at the the uh, Christmas tree, the picture before it was removed, and there's not only a can of malt liquor there. There's several beer cans. One looks like Uh, Bud Ice or whatever you call it. There's another beer can. I can't really make it out because one of the Christmas balls is there. Looks like there's a stellar can on the Christmas tree. Yes, there is a strip of crime scene tape and two packs of cigarettes on there. Of course, the community is saying, oh, it's racial and it's a slap in the face because if you remember back in 2015 when the city uh, had protest and uproars about the fatal shooting of Jamar Clark. Um, I believe that's the one where the girlfriend live streamed or Facebook lived the shooting. People were saying, oh, this tree is, is racist and it's a slap in the face. But, you know, I, I guess my question is, and again, you know, I'm not seeing just malt liquor. My question is, when did beer and cigarettes 
only become associated with the black community. This is ridiculous because you you would you would be making the assumption that only black people drink beer and smoke cigarettes, which we know for a fact is not true. I know plenty of my white counterparts that smoke. I know plenty of my white counterparts that drink beer. I personally don't drink beer. Uh, if I do, it's a cider. I'm more of a liquor type guy. But at what point in this society did we come up to say, well, it's beer, it's cigarettes, therefore it has to be racist? Did anyone ever stop to think that? Because I know being an ex-police officer, police love to drink. We love to do choir practice. We love to do that second roll call, if you will, where we may go out and take back one or two. So maybe, just maybe, these decorations aren't racist. They weren't intended to be racist. Maybe it was just cops having fun. Because to sit there and say this tree is racist because it's got beer cans and cigarettes is ridiculous. Because again, you're assuming that that's only associated with the black community. Now, if it would have been a bucket of chitlins hanging from the tree that you typically associate with the stereotype of black slavery, maybe you could say that. Or if it would have been little black figurines hanging from a tree, then definitely you can say this tree is racist because symbolically those images are associated with the black community, with a derogatory point in black history. But to sit here and say that, well, because this tree is decorated with beer cans, and again, it's not malt liquor, as the the ad said, since it's decorated with beer cans and some cigarettes, that it's somehow a racist tree, to me, that is just utterly ridiculous. And that's really sad if that's the point that we're at right now. To say that everything that police do, there has to be a racial undertone. Like, can police not have fun now without something being racist? Right? Like, if nowadays, if you say you don't like black jelly beans or black licorice, then you're a racist. So if a police officer just happened to be having a conversation down at Starbucks and he said, man, I hate these black jelly beans, is that going to make the news? Is that going to be on CNN? Is someone going to get out their video camera and sit there and say this officer is racist because he said he doesn't like black jelly beans? Well, quite frankly, who the hell does like black jelly beans? I don't know too many people. I don't like black jelly beans. But my point is, I know that's a little strange analogy. My point is this stuff is just getting quite ridiculous. I mean, good Lord, (laughs) What's next? If a police officer is wearing black boots, he's going to be a racist? What, what, what's next? Yeah, I don't get it. Two police officers suspended in Minneapolis for what I see as just having fun. Uh, I'm sure somebody listening may say it was a racist thing, but you know, I urge you to look at the tree for yourself. There wasn't cans of malt liquor hanging from the tree. There were several beer can types Two packs of cigarettes in a strip, a strip, not an entire crime scene tape rolled across the tree, a strip. So I see it as officers having fun.
As I said at the top of the show, tonight's episode of Beyond the Badge is brought to you by Audible. And Audible proudly presents Evil Has a Name, the untold story of the Golden State Killer investigation. Nameless, faceless. For more than 40 years, this monster preyed on California. From 1975 to 1986, he was known by many aliases. The East Area Rapist, the original Night Stalker, the Vissela Ransacker. Then on April 24, 2018, authorities arrested 72-year-old Joseph James D'Angelo based on DNA evidence linked to the crimes. With the suspect now behind bars, could it be that evil finally had a name? Delivering all new details about the investigation and a very stunning final act to the events of Michelle McNamara's haunting bestseller, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, forensic criminologist Paul Holes and retired FBI profiler Jim Clemente revealed the unbelievable true story of the capture of the suspected Golden State Killer. When you're trying to catch a killer, the devil is in the details. Evil has a name only on Audible. Listen now at audible.com slash evil beyond the badge or text evil beyond the badge to 500-500. Now, as I said, I talked last week about the shooting death of E.J. Bradford, who was a 21-year-old black man in Hoover, Alabama, Thanksgiving night. Police respond to what they thought at the time an active shooter simply because um, they heard shots two officers that were working an extra job heard shots they go around the corner they uh, see what they believe to be the shooter because they see E.J. Bradford there with the gun so what do they do? they are trained to eliminate the threat And, of course, we heard about it on CNN. We heard about it on MSNBC. It was a big story. It's still a big story. Like I said, Benjamin Crump is giving more press conferences, talking about the autopsy report, and, again, saying it was unjustified. And it was definitely racial because they just saw a black man with a gun, and they shot him. Well, the same thing happened in Colorado, in Aurora, back in July, but I guarantee you didn't hear this story. Right now, a man shot by Aurora police at his own home has now been identified. 73-year-old Richard Gary Black was killed when police responded on reports of an intruder inside of a home. Police believe that Black killed that intruder. So, did you hear that? Police responded and killed 73-year-old Richard Black in his own home because there was an intruder and Richard Black killed the intruder. But let me tell you what happened. Let me give you the skinny. They were having this party over at Richard Black's house, 73-year-old veteran, a true veteran, unlike E.J. Bradford, who only did part of basic training, but that's how the, the mainstream media painted him as this veteran. This guy spent many, many years in in the military, Richard Black, uh, 73-year-old white male, killed by 
white police officers, but yet we did not hear this on MSNBC. It's funny, I emailed this to a producer friend of mine at HLN, and she's like, this was in July, and my response was, exactly, but you did not hear about it on a national stage. But anyway, back to what I was saying. Police arrived. They hear gunshots as they're arriving. Apparently, two other people had come into this house who tried to grab an 11-year-old child and began to strangle and drown him. I don't know what was going on at this party, but that's what the report says. So as police are arriving, guess what they hear? Gunshots. Guess what they do when they hear gunshots? They shoot. Because let's think about this. There's a report of an intruder. There's a report that this intruder has broken in. There could be other intruders. They hear gunshots. So they fire into the home and they shoot and kill the homeowner, 73-year-old Richard Gary Black. But it's amazing how the narrative is much different. It's amazing how this doesn't even make the news other than the local news there in Aurora, Colorado. And unless you live there, you don't know about this story. How many people have heard Richard Gary Black? I didn't see Benjamin Crump flying down to Aurora, Colorado to represent this family because isn't that the same thing that you fight for, Benjamin Crump? Isn't it the same thing that you fight for, the injustices? that police get away with every day and maybe 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 you heard the story and you heard the name you saw the word black and you thought oh it's a black guy and then when you found out he was white you said oh well that's not going to make me any money because I can't spin that narrative let me walk you through how different the narrative is when you hear these stories. There has been some suggestion by the top leader in our country that to stop bad guys with guns in these mass shootings, we need good guys to have guns. Well, we see whether it's Jamel Robinson in Chicago or here with E.J. Bradford Jr., when the good guys who have guns happen to be black, the police don't see them as a good mm-hmm. guy. They see them as a criminal and they shoot and kill When police see a black guy with a gun, that was Benjamin Crump, care of MSNBC, by the way. When the black guys have guns, police only see them as criminals and they shoot and kill them. Hmm, that's an interesting perspective. Hmm, Maybe there's some truth to it. I would say, though, maybe there's not because let's go ask Richard Black's family, what happened here? Because he definitely was not a black man. His name is black, but I'm looking at his picture. He's as white as white can be. He's definitely not a black man. He had a gun. He was in his own home. He wasn't at a mall in an urban area where a fight had broken out and people pulled out guns and started shooting and police arrived within seconds because they were right around the shots. He was a white man in his own home where his wife actually called 911 saying there was an intruder and my husband had just shot the intruder and he's armed with a gun and police still happen to shoot him. Wow. 
Listen to that narrative, though. The top leader in the country says good guys should have guns to stop bad guys with the guns, but if they're black, then the police shoot them because they see them as criminals. Gary was protecting his family, and the intruder was in there, I understand. Police have nanoseconds to react. Officers arrived on scene and heard gunfire. Short time later, officers confronted an armed male who was armed with a firearm. Gunshots from the intruder versus the police officer showing up were so quick and it's so dark over there. I think the police officer may have made the right choice. Now, you just heard one of the neighbors of Richard Black there in Aurora, Cali- or California, Colorado, rather, who said it happened so fast. The shots between the intruder, which we now know are the homeowner and police happened so fast that he believes that maybe the police made the right choice under the situation. You heard another neighbor say that police have nanoseconds to react. Now, why is it that they're not blaming the police saying, oh, this is unjustified and, oh, it happens everywhere, and they just saw a criminal with a gun. You know why they're not saying that? Because, A, they have a sense to know, just like, really, Benjamin Crump and all these other guys that do these law uh, lawsuits against these police departments, they know that police have, like the lady said, nanoseconds to react. They know that things escalate quickly, like the other neighbor said, and it was dark and everything happened so fast. They know that you have to look at every circumstance, every piece of evidence in these shooting cases. You can't call it racist simply because the police officer is white and the individual shot is black. Same exact situation. No, I take that back. E.J. Bradford's situation, his shooting death, is different because, again, police were there when the shots were fired. They came around the corner within seconds and they saw him with the gun. In this situation, Richard Black, again, the homeowner who was protecting his family, his wife called police and police were dispatched to the scene. They pull up, they hear shots. So I guess in a sense, it is the same situation. They hear shots, they react to shots because police are trained to protect the public and eliminate the threat. So, again, I wonder why Benjamin Crump is not down in Aurora, Colorado. I wonder why MSNBC is not down in Arroyo, Arroyo, Colorado. I wonder why my producer friend at HLN had not even heard about the story. I know exactly why. You know exactly why. We're all smart enough to know the reason why. It's not because of any other thing other than the fact that it doesn't fit the narrative. It doesn't fit what people want to hear. It doesn't fit what gets them ratings on the news. Quite simply, it doesn't fit the fact that the most racist president in the world is in the White House and he's telling people to get the good guys to have the guns but the police only see 
the black guys with guns as criminals. It doesn't fit that narrative. But listen, police shootings happen every day in this country, across the country, to black people, to white people, to Hispanic people, to men, to women, to young, to old. It happens as a result of an individual's actions. And not only an individual's actions, I'll take it one step further. In the heat of the moment when things are escalating and everything's happening in a nanosecond, like you heard, the officer doesn't have time to try to slow things down in slow motion because there's no slow motion button. It isn't the iPhone XX where you got the slow motion feature in the video and you can see things in slow motion. It doesn't work that way. Split seconds to make decisions that can affect the rest of a lot of people's lives. That's it. But maybe I should send this video clip to MSNBC of Richard Black to see if they want to pick that story up. I doubt it, though. Hey, I want to thank you for listening. I'm almost out of time, but of course, it's time for my 10-7 segment tonight. I want to honor Trooper Robert E. Nagel, New Jersey State Police New Jersey, end of watch, November 26, 2018. He was 67 years old. He served for 34 years. He was also a military veteran. Trooper Robert Nigel died as a result of cancer that he developed following his assignment to search and recovery efforts at the World Trade Center site following the 9-11 terrorist attacks. He was one of 72 officers Uh, from the state and federal agencies that have been killed uh, so far. Again, people are still dying from uh, this 9-11 attack, from cancer that they developed way back when, you know, over 17 years ago. So when people say never forget September 11th, I'm sure there's hundreds of families that are reminded of it every day because they see their loved one suffering from some form of cancer every day until they pass away 17 years going so never forget september 11th i'll never forget the appreciation that you guys show me the love that you guys show me i'll see you same time same place right here next week radioinfluence.com good night To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter, at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. I'm Tracy Beans, host of the new podcast, Dark to Light with Frank and Beans on Radio Influence. It's a new show about politics, but not the way you're used to. What we talk about is actually true. And it's also stuff they don't want you to hear. So we bring it to you weekly. All the intrigue and spin and double talk spelled out for you right with my co-host Frank's special flavor of commentary. Don't miss him. He's an experience. So join us. Dark to Light with Frank and me, Tracy Beans, drops each Friday on Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.